Welcome to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. I'm your host, Laura Rotford, a physiotherapist, Pilates instructor, and fellow hippie. We're here to talk all things hip dysplasia, to build a community, to support and guide each other through the ups and the downs. If you like the podcast, please share it and rate it. It does help others to find it too. And if you have any feedback or questions, they're always welcome. Email me at laura at helpforhipdysplasia.com. That's it for now. Let's get started with the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Help for Hip Dysplasia podcast. We are lucky enough to have with us this week, Casey Aitkins. Hi, Casey. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. We're so happy to have you here. Um, And we've got a different perspective this week. So you are, in fact, um, a mum of a daughter that has hip dysplasia rather than having it yourself. Is that right? Yes. My two-year-old. So she's two now. So when was was the diagnosis? Uh, When she was 20 months old. Okie dokie. So did you know anything about hip dysplasia before the diagnosis came in? No, um, I had no idea what it was or that it was even a thing um, until obviously went through all the procedures of meeting different doctors and health visitors and physiotherapists and then we managed to get an x-ray and then that's when the consultant said that that's what she had. Um, and then obviously, because you've never heard about it before, you're kind of like, well, what is that? Like, what does that even mean? Um, so the doctor was very helpful. Um, and then I went home and I Googled as much as I could about what it was. And <laughs> just, yeah, and looked at pictures that I probably wish I didn't because it just made it sad. I probably should have waited a few days after knowing what it was to look at it because it was emotional. Um, but yeah. Uh, no, I had no idea what it was. So we've um, been in touch with some people that we've had on the podcast already that are trying to make some changes to increase people's awareness of hip dysplasia, even um, for people that don't have children with hip dysplasia. So to make it part of um, the information leaflets that you're given when you first become a mum or become pregnant to just make the awareness of this condition a little bit more um out there really do you feel like that was something that might have been a little bit more helpful yeah I think it's definitely something that needs to be brought to light a bit more um even when I was pregnant and through the scans there was never any sort of question about has anyone in your family got troubles with their hips like anything like that because I probably would have you know found out that I actually do have it on my my mum's side do you Um, Yes, my uncle and my great-aunt both had it. Um, but obviously it's not something that's ever spoke about. So I didn't actually know until my daughter had been diagnosed with it. And then I was like, well, does it run on any side? Of, like, who does it run on? It's quite a random thing to just, you know, because she was full term. There was no trouble with the pregnancy at all. There was no trouble with labour. So it was a bit like, well, why has she got it? So I think it's definitely something that needs to be, like there needs to be some sort of discussion with, like even during pregnancy, like scans and even after that, like with the checks, everything was, said it was fine. It was only once I was told that she had hip dysplasia that I actually found something in her little red book. But when she was a baby, like obviously because all firstborns get it, um, and I, I didn't even know it was in there. No one said, this is what you need to look out for. 
nothing. It's quite interesting that you say that it, you know, there is a line of it in your family that you weren't even aware of. And yeah. what I did want to pick up on is the fact that you um, mentioned that it's not something that's ever talked about. Um, and that's quite an interesting topic to broach as well. And, you know, why is it that we haven't perhaps had these discussions with our family or, you know, other distant relatives about what other health conditions are going on? You know, it, maybe yeah. that should be something that is brought to light as part of these conversations perhaps that just makes everybody think you know if I'm going to have a baby or you know it's important to know our, our history because that might guide what we're looking out for um with our children going forwards perhaps um yeah. so you did say that um there are people further up the line do you feel like it's missed you or have you got any symptoms yourself no I don't have any myself my sister's had four kids and they don't have it mum's had three kids none of us have had it so it's kind of like why why would it be spoke about because no one like close has had it like no one in the immediate family so it wasn't mm. something that was like oh okay I need to make sure I get her checked to make sure she doesn't have it it was kind of just like why would you need to talk about it because it wasn't anything known yeah that's so true um and this might make you feel a little bit better about it as well my um my mum um she didn't feel like she had any problem with her hips and um her her mum had had some you know a hip replacement and had some trouble with her hips throughout her life um and mum never felt she had any problems i was diagnosed with hip dysplasia and then when i got older um and became a physio and knew a little bit more about it um we were talking about her party tricks from when she was younger. She's like, yeah, I used to be able to pop my hip out and pop it back in again. It was my party trick. And I turned around and I said, mum, do you not feel like that might have been a sign that you have shallow hip sockets and might have hip dysplasia? Um, and she went, oh, a baby. <laughs> so I think a lot of people can go through life having the condition, but not necessarily knowing about it until much later on in life, which is something that I've been talking about with um, some of the researchers um, that I get to chat to, and that perhaps a lot of the hip replacements that happen later on in life might be a, a, a sign um, of these instabilities that have been there all along. And I think it's a really, really interesting thing to, to take forwards. And it's great that your daughter was diagnosed um, really quite early on. Um, so let's bring it back to that. Um, and once she was diagnosed, what was the process then going forwards? What did they do? Um, so she had her x-ray in the August, I believe it was, of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was October, a week after she turned two, that she had her pre-surgical assessment. Um, and then by the December, she was in having surgery. So what surgery has she had done? Um, they needed to um, carve her pelvic bone because her hip had never been in it. Like she had never, I don't know, it had never been connected. Um, and they needed to cut the, is it the femoral bone? Is it the femoral bone? The thigh bone. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what right word is for it. Um, the thigh bone, they had to snip some of the bone away. Um, to make sure that her legs wouldn't be, you know, she wouldn't start walking wonky, that her legs wouldn't be um, not the same length. Mm -hmm. So she would have leg, length, leg discrepancy. Um, so she's had that, so now at the minute she's got metal plates 
in her hip and her leg um, that we need to get removed by the end of this year. Um, So, so that's the surgery that she's had now. And when they told you about this surgery again, so what was the process? They described the surgery to you. Did they give you any sort of informational guidance as to where you could look up more information? Because I think it's quite, quite scary to be told that your two-year-old's going to yeah. have some fairly major surgery. Um, so what were the support systems that they gave you? And do you feel like there's anything else that would have been useful? Um, they gave me leaflets to read through mm -hmm. um i did find very helpful to be fair. um and then they told me about the steps website and the steps brilliant facebook so i joined them as soon as i got home um, Brilliant. just because i had so many questions that day and like the weeks that come that followed to just be well what's this what does this mean you know just trying to get as many answers as many questions answered um i think what would have been more useful is if i had researched a bit more like i was given things to look at and that was all i basically done i didn't then decide to go and look at anything else i was kind of i kind of just looked at what i was told to um so i probably could have done like my own research researched a bit more found more um websites online and different people to talk to about their experiences but I didn't do any of that and if I'd done it again I probably would try and look at more places more support groups and um set up just yeah. so that you can just find more information about it yeah steps is an absolutely fantastic website um and they've got their facebook pages as well um, and there are so many people that are going through the same scenarios so um I think what's most important is that no one feels alone when they're going through yeah. this journey that they know that there are other people that are going through something similar um and that you can compare your stories you know if at two o'clock in the morning you're thinking well this is happening and this is happening but i don't know if that's normal you know there's someone somewhere in the world that is on that website that you can ask those questions to at any time yeah. and it's a fantastic resource to have so what i will make sure that i do um for anybody that isn't sure is i'll make sure that i put the contact details for steps charity um and Facebook pages on the show notes for everybody so that they can go and have a look at that. Yeah. Um, so practicality is leading up to the surgery then. So what did you need to get ready or think about in preparation for the surgery? Um, I think the thing I needed to think about the most is I had another daughter at mm -hmm. home um, who was younger. So it was more just, you know, figuring out childcare for her, um, who was going to stay at the hospital, with my daughter after the surgery, um, what to take. The main thing that I was worried about was how to entertain her because as soon as she learned to walk, she was very determined to just do everything herself. <laughs> and it was kind of, she's learned to walk and now she can't. Like that's being taken away. So it was just, you know, trying to get her entertained, trying to make sure she was comfortable, you know, just to make sure that I was speaking to family members and stuff about how I was feeling so it wasn't all cooped up and you know if I felt I needed to cry I'd cry you know that this two-year-old has all this going on she just has no idea so I kind of felt that for her that I felt guilty making her like this but then knew it was the best thing to do for her of course um 
yeah, so it was more just, you know, planning things that was the main thing that I was worried about. There's a lot of logistical things to to sort out yeah. on there, like you said about the childcare and who's going to be where at what point. But what I did really want to pick up from that is that you said you were worried about how to entertain her. So what did you what did you find um, most useful in terms of entertaining your two year old? Um, I had family members that would come up and she'd be excited to see them. Like her cousin would come up and she's obsessed with her, um, so she'd be excited to see her. I was excited to see her sister. Um, I think my mum bought her some dolls to play with and she was, she loved playing with them, they were little princess dolls. Um, I'd give it, I bought her a tab just so she could watch, you know, like Peppa Pig and all of this stuff. Oh, a tablet? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, you know, just whatever two-year-olds find interesting on Netflix and YouTube and stuff. Um. That was mainly it to be fair because most of the time she'd be asleep because she was she was just on so many medicines. Um, but then once she felt a bit better, I'd take her out on a pram, like around the hospital, just for a walk and a change of scenery. So she enjoyed that. And then sometimes I'd go out of the hospital and just walk down by the river and, and then take her back. So it was more just, you know, trying to get her to sit up and look at something else other than the end of the hospital bed. Yeah, I'm sure anyone would go crazy just seeing the same four walls over and over again. So uh, how long did you have to stay at the hospital for with her? Um, we were admitted on the Monday, had the surgery on Tuesday, and then we were back home, I think it was a Sunday or Monday. Mm-hmm. But that was just because they were worried that, because she hadn't pooed. That, well, yeah. Yeah, she, they didn't want to send us home and then her poo and it'd be like an explosion and then I don't know how to change her because she'd been given so many medicines that were blocking her up so then she was being given so many different medicines to try and make her poo that they were working against each other so she wasn't going um so they tried to um give her a smaller dosage of the medicines just because they didn't think that she really needed it um because she wasn't actually ever moaning that she was in pain or it's not that she kind of just had surgery and that was it, like she was fine. Um, but then obviously, because she's not moving around, she's not pooing. So, you know, they were kind of just working it out. In the end, I just said, I'll just take her home. If she ends up pooing, you know, I'll have to bring her back if I can't manage it myself. Um, but she managed to go at the hospital after I'd said that, like a few oh, hours that's later. that's such good news. <laughs> so I ended up going home that night. Anyway, I don't think we got home until about nine, ten o'clock that night because I was just like, oh, I just want to go home now. But she wants to go home. We need to just get some sort of, you know, normal routine going again. Um, but yeah, but I don't think it, it, we were only told about three, four days, two to four days really that we'd be in there. But because of that reason, they kept us in. It's a really good point to bring up. Um, did they give you any advice nutritionally um, for anything that they anything that you could prioritise giving her food-wise that would have helped anything along? Um, they were talking about um, like oranges. I think that's going to be like really good for them. Um, like raisins and stuff like that, but she liked both of. So I was giving her all of that, trying to get her to drink orange juice, like doing everything that I could possibly do, taking her out for walks so she wasn't laying down. But just nothing happened until I was like, I'm done now. I want to go home. 
<laughs> That's understandable. Um, yeah, so she ended up going to ice before we went home. So that was really good. And you mentioned um, if there was to be, for example, an explosion, there you were concerned that you might not be okay with how to change her. Now, obviously, you're very experienced at changing your own children. Um, but what complications were there with um, with the changing? Was she in a cast or what, what was, yeah, the, she was in a the changes? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like we had to get, I think it was a smaller size nappy than what she was already in, and then tear off the sticky part of it so we could push it up her back, like where the spice cast is, and then put it round as if you're putting on the nappy properly, and then tuck it in again. And then on top of that, she had like an adult sized nappy around it because that was the only thing that would fit over her cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like trying to do two nappies that make sure that once you put the big nappy on, the little nappy hasn't moved. Um, and we've done really well until about two weeks before it was due to come off and she had the biggest explosion. and went all up her back. Oh, no. All over the cast, it, like everything. But they had given me the, I think it was velvet, not velvet, I don't know. They gave me the fabric stuff to if anything like that was to happen I could cut it off myself and stick it on um, oh as a lining yeah um just whatever was dirty just you know cut it off and stick on a new one but because she was just so determined to move around she started crawling in her cast that the fabric on the legs started to wear mm-hmm. um so that was a bit a bit worrying because obviously we've gone this long with no issues and then two weeks before it's due to come off it's going to start wearing the fabrics now tearing you know you don't want the last two weeks to be you know to change it all and like it not work like it just move her leg or her hip or whatever but no she was absolutely fine great so um did you end up having to put any other bandages over the bits that were wearing to try and prolong it a little bit more what did you do to deal um, with it or did it just manage to last um i tried to and then i ended up just sticking it back down with masking tape mm-hmm. like just loads and loads and loads of masking tape because nothing else would stick on the cast itself oh, these are such useful tips for people <laughs> thank you so much like for the these there was anything i had in my house that i was like i need to try and stick this down um but yeah I think that was in the end I was just like it can just get stuck down with tape now and then I explained to them that I just I couldn't do it myself and there was no point bringing them in just for that like when we're two weeks away so yeah it was just being stuck down with tape you just find ways to make things work right yeah it was the only thing I had in my house so it had to work whether it (laughs) wasn't or not and with the nappy changing did did it feel quite awkward to do at first and did you get the hang of it quite quickly or did it take a bit of time to perfect the inner and the outer nappy scenario? Um, it took a while. Um, when I was in the hospital with her, it took a few days for the nurses to do it because I was like, I'm not doing it yet. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, she, it can't be this fresh on, like the car. It can't be this fresh and it'd be my turn to change her nappy and then it all just goes wrong. So I was like, you do it, let me just keep watching you. And then I think it was in the middle of the night, she 
removing it was quite uncomfortable so I was like okay I have to change it but I just think you know it's night time I don't need lights to be turned on and wake everyone else in the ward up so I was like I'll just quietly and quickly do it myself and yeah I managed to do it but it's, I didn't feel comfortable to do it it took me a few times and maybe even a few days to be like okay I can do this but then I got home and my partner was like no I'm not doing it you do it <laughs> so he never really saw any of that like even trying to wash her and stuff like that like he he never watched any of that so it was pretty much yeah okay I'm doing it all while he watches the younger one yeah well that's the complication when you've got two children isn't it and um yeah. it does sound like you had a good amount of support there and thank goodness you you did when you had another little one around I'm sure that was yeah. much appreciated during that time. Well, sorry. So you mentioned another thing there, which is the washing scenario. So when you've got a cast on, obviously you've, it's not a great idea to get them wet. So what did you do to, to help with that scenario? Um, I washed her in the kitchen with the kitchen mm-hmm. sink. Okay. Um, I laid towels down where the draining board goes. Obviously I moved that way. Um, and then laid her on top of the towels and made sure that her head was over the sink. Like, basically she was laying down and her head was in the sink because I could wash her hair. Um, and then I tried to get flannel, like a damp flannel, and wipe her down everywhere. Um, and then had to make sure that I wiped her with a towel after so she wasn't dripping or anything into the car. Mm-hmm. But she loves playing with water, she loves having baths, but this was the one thing that she was just like, no, like I don't want to do it. So it'd be, it was a task trying to pick her up anyway, because that twice her weight with the cast on, and then trying to lay her down on top of the kitchen counter, and then trying to wash her when she's just like, I don't want to be here. It was, it was a challenge. And Mentally as well as physically, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trying to make sure that you don't get the cast wet when you're washing is hard, but when she's moving around and... I don't want to do this, like, get me down, like, that's another challenge as well. So it was, it was very challenging, but once it was done and she was fresh and she was clean, it was worth it. Because otherwise, she'll sit there with matted hair, you know, she'll stink, because the cast is not easy to keep clean. And it's, when they're sweating, it's not easy to make it not smell. So you just got to wash them as much as you can without getting them soaking wet. Yeah, of course. You did say as well that she was managing to move around quite a lot and that she was managing to crawl around. So how much flexibility um, of movement did she have in the cast? Because there's lots of different types of cast that you can have um, that I'm sure that some people are aware of listening and that some aren't. So could you describe the cast and the restrictions that she had for everybody? Yeah. Um, the cast started from under her boob, so it was all over her stomach. Um, the leg that she had cut, it was all down her right leg, down to her mm-hmm. ankle. Um, and then it was, the other leg was down to her knee. Because, you know, nothing was wrong with that one. So they didn't need to put it, you know, they didn't need to restrict her that much. Um, she couldn't sit up straight. Um, obviously, she couldn't walk. Um, even crawling, she just managed to, you know, drag herself along with her one foot that was working. Um, but I don't even think it was a day or two that we were home and she was trying to move she was just very much like I'm not laying here, I'm going 
I'm off. very determined <laughs> yeah so she was doing that and then she managed to learn to pull herself up so she could stand which obviously isn't the easiest because your legs are at an angle and they're bent so you can't really stand straight but she did really well I mean she hardly ever complained about it really yeah um I think she complained more when it had gone because she'd got so used to it well, there's a lot of stability that that cast is going to give you, even though the position is obviously not what they're used to from the walking pattern that they've already started gaining. But there's probably a lot of stability in that cast for them to rest on. And then I suppose you take that away and then all they've got is their own muscles to control yeah. their movement. So was she a little bit wobbly afterwards? Um, yeah, but was, I think it was only a few hours later that she was trying to walk. Or was it that she wanted to just rest just because I'm getting up? I want to play. So, so just a couple of hours after the cast was removed. Yeah, I mean, even when they were get when the cast was being removed, even the doctors and nurses were saying it may take a few months for her to want to move properly. But it was a bit like I don't think she's going to last that long. I think she's going to go. Um, and they were like, yeah, it might take a little while for her legs to start working properly again. And as soon as the cast came off, she didn't want them touching her, so she was kicking her leg around as soon as the cast had come off her leg. So all the nurses were a bit like, oh, that's just actually already moving it. <laughs> like, what's going on? So, um, but she had the x-ray after the cast was off and everything was still in place. So that was good, but she was just very determined. And it was like maybe four or five hours later that she was walking. Wow. Like, not without help. She was like leaning on the sofa to walk, but she was up. And she was like, I don't want anyone to help me. I'm doing it myself. And how long was she in the cast for, start to finish? Uh, seven weeks. Seven the, weeks? Yeah, the beginning of December to the end of January. Worked out around seven weeks. That's absolutely amazing. So she's been out of the cast now since, like you said, January. Um, yeah. And what's what's been the process since? She's gradually just obviously gotten a little bit stronger on her feet. Have you got any more follow-ups booked in or what's the scenario now? Yeah, so she had it taken off the end of January. She had a six-week check after that in March. Um, it was April time. Um, and they said everything would look fine. Um, so we have to go back again in three months' time, depending on this whole lockdown. Um, to just like for her to have another x ray just to double double check that everything is how it should still be, um, and then discuss the removal of the metal plates, and then that should hopefully be done by the end of the year. Um, but that's all I know at the minute, I haven't been told anything else. Mm -hmm. Okay, so obviously, the like you said, the plates are going to be removed by the end of the year, um, and then they'll obviously update you then with what's to come next. But yeah. how would you how would you describe this whole journey um, from start to finish with the hip dysplasia for your daughter? You know, has it been a positive, negative, challenging experience? How would you describe it? Uh, the best I could describe is probably a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, at the beginning, your child's learning to walk, and you can notice something's wrong. But everyone's like, no, she's fine, she's fine. She's just learned to walk, give her time, she's fine. Um, and then obviously she gets diagnosed with hip dysplasia and then it's like a down from there. She's like, it's like the worst thing that can be wrong. Like her having that invasive surgery at two years old. Um, then seeing all the milestones that she was hitting while she was still in the cast made it positive because I was worried that 
sort of change her. Like she, you know, she was a fun, outgoing, talkative, like just won't be quiet. So I thought her not being able to move is going to change her. She's going to be like drawn into herself and not want to talk to anyone, not want to do anything. But it didn't change it at all. But if it could make her more determined, like I'm not letting this class stop me from walking, I'm going to walk. Um, so in that way, yeah, it was that was a high. And then the doctor's saying, like, there's nothing wrong, they're not worried about her at all. She's doing everything she should be. Yeah, like, it makes me feel glad that I've done it and that her legs are fine now, so to speak. So there's obviously been some challenges, but actually the outcome of this is something that you can be so proud of yourself for dealing with. You've realised that your daughter is so resilient um, and <laughs> will adapt to any situation. And, you know, even when you're facing the dark days to know and for others to hear your story and to hear that there are positive outcomes and that the dark days don't mean it's always going to be that way. There are positive things to come from it um, yeah. and that it does get better. It's been so amazing to hear that story. And I'm really looking forward to perhaps catching up with you a little bit later on in the year after the removal of the plates and to hear a little yeah. bit more about how she's getting on. So I, I know that other people will have found this story so, so helpful. Um, and I can't thank you enough for sharing some of those tips. Um, they've been so, so useful. So thank you so much. And if yeah. anybody would like to continue to follow Casey's journey or um to ask her any questions where can they find you Casey um I've got an Instagram uh it's Casey Lauren Zero I believe it is yeah brilliant so yeah please um follow along with Casey's journey um and ask any questions we're all we're trying to do is to continue to build this community to support and help each other out through the good and the bad days um and hearing other people's stories I know is a great way of people feeling more together in this community so thank you so much Casey for coming on and we'll speak soon Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again next week with another inspiring and incredible guest. See you soon.